Mindfulness Mode 210. I've seen her with a gun up to her head, and I thought that my father was going to pull the trigger. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on today's Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Hey, Mindful Tribe. I have news. I am going to be featured on a summit, and the summit is coming up. Well, it's starting later this week. The summit is called Change Your Thinking, Change Your Body. And it's all about mindset. It's all about body image. It's featuring 28 speakers who are all experts in this whole area of health, food, mindset. And I'm honored to be one of those speakers. The event is sponsored by Lucia Ferraro. And man, is she ever dynamic. She has so much energy and so much expertise because she's she's worked in the weight loss industry for, I think it's like over 15 years. So she's amazing. I'm actually going to be interviewing her on the next episode. And so I'm just giving you a little heads up. You can check out the summit at mindfulnessmode.com forward slash C-Y-T. So that's change your thinking stands for. So check that out. Sign up for it because it is free. She will send you uh, an interview every day in your inbox. So it's super easy to grab those interviews and listen to them. So I recommend this summit. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Today, I have a guest on that I really connected with. He has had a lot of major successes in his life, but he had one event happen that changed his life completely, caused him to be a much more mindful individual. He's going to tell you all about it on the show today. So stay tuned, sit back, relax, and enjoy hearing James tell his story. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I'm so excited today. I have James Nallen on the line. Hey, James, are you in mindfulness mode? You know I am, Bruce. (laughs) I know you are. (laughs) It is great to talk to you, James. James Nallen is a successful businessman. And when I say successful, I mean super successful. Formerly a corporate attorney, a consultant, and I will say a survivor. Because in 2012, he barely made it through a near-death drowning accident on a stormy lake while kayaking with a friend. That was a major change point in James' life. And he's not only become stronger, he now helps others live lives that are more purposeful, abundant, and epic than even they ever imagined. So James is the man. I can't wait to find out more. So James, what does mindfulness mean to you? Thank you so much for having me on the show, first and foremost, Bruce. My pleasure. Mindfulness means to me detaching from the external world and connecting with the inner self. And we've got so many things that are distractions for our attention on a daily basis, including iPhones and uh, uh, smart devices and laptops and uh, email and so on and so forth. And these things really detract from one's ability to connect into that mindfulness, which is where I have found my inner strength and my power. I've taken that mindfulness and that detaching from the external world and that connecting with the internal self to uh, work on myself as a businessman, to focus on my dreams, to work on really getting my game from uh, one level to the next. And, And in particular, you know, that really happened for me after August 25th, 2012, when I had my drowning accident. 
Um, I was living what I thought was a purpose-driven life, but uh, really, Bruce, on a scale of one to 10 on a daily basis, I would probably rate my life between uh, a three and an eight back then. And it was a real wake-up call. When my body was dragged from that lake and when I recovered in the hospital, I said, you know what? It's not about being a millionaire businessman and having flashy friends and flashy uh, um, cars and houses and being able to travel around the world. It's about really tapping into oneself and serving the world. And I came back on a mission to help myself become better so that I could help others become better. And tapping into that mindfulness was where it all began. Um, it, it allowed me to mature, to develop uh, internally, to reflect, and to realize going forward, there's not really a such thing as a bad day after having an accident like August 25th, 2012. Now, I'll give a speech and I'll talk to people about what actually happened with the drowning, my body being recovered, one of my best friends actually leading the search to find my body, and um, he's actually a medical doctor. Nobody thought that I was going to make it. But at the end of the day, Bruce, there was a radical shift in mindset that took place where um, I'm just so focused and so blessed. And uh, I talk about some of the principles by which I live uh, in my book that's coming out on, on April 25th, which is The Purposeful Millionaire with these 52 rules for creating a life of wealth and happiness. It all begins with mindfulness. Because quite frankly, who wants to live a life that's on a scale of 10, a three to an eight on a, any given day? Right well, now, that's true. I can honestly say I'm living an eight to a 10 almost every day. And that's, that's a really a blessing for me. Well, one of the things you mentioned, James, is inner strength. So tell us how that accident resulted in you having greater inner strength and how you can help others grow that inner strength in them. It, it really forced me to reflect uh, upon my life's experiences and the fact that I grew up in a small town in Virginia. I was a first generation college grad and first to get a doctorate degree and actually went to medical school and dropped out of medical school because I didn't want to be a doctor. And then I went to law school and practiced corporate law um, and became a licensed attorney and, and left that to start my business. All of that required grit and strength. But when something happens to you that's a life-altering experience, that grit and strength is taken to a whole nother level. And it provides me with not only power within myself, but a peace within myself, knowing that if today is not great, tomorrow is going to get even better. And that's where I draw my strength from. It's the wisdom of knowing that things will get better. Just stay the course. Continue to chip away at your dream and make sure that that two to three pound nugget on top of your head uh, is always in a good place. And that's where dreams will come to fruition. It sounds like it just gave you a new and different, fresh perspective on life. Is that it, a fair way to describe it? That's a super fair way to describe it. Um, and, and for a lot of us, uh, and you know, I'm sure that there are some listeners out there who are the first in their families to succeed at a certain level. There's a certain um, uh, mystique and loneliness to being that first generation achiever, uh, really getting through that uh, experience and not really knowing, am I supposed to be happy? 
Am I supposed to feel powerful? Am I supposed to feel uh, strength? Am I supposed to feel empowered to help other people without mentorship or having someone in one's life to say, hey, you know, this is how you navigate these waters. This is how you should potentially be feeling. Um, It can sometimes be a very confusing process. So needless to say, Bruce, before the accident, I was a little bit confused about what the feeling of success really was. Now I know what that feeling of success is, and I I actually know my purpose. I know my mission now, and my mission is to help empower others to live their greatest, most powerful lives. And I do that by mentoring. I do that by executive coaching. I do that by working with the executives within my company. I do that just by being my best self and leading by example, because that helps to escalate and to elevate others to be their best possible self. So how do you know deep inside, way down deep, that you truly deserve to have everything good in this world, James? Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. One of the things that I don't have challenges with is accepting my success. Um, I have friends who have fear of success, and I've had conversations with them about that. I've also have friends who, who have fear of failure. Um, But everything that has come into my life has been because of prayer, meditation, hard work, and doing right by the universe. Um, I don't regret, I don't feel uncomfortable with the fact that I've been blessed at a certain financial level, that I have certain responsibilities, both in my business life and private life that are uh, at a very high level in terms of engaging with and connecting with and helping the lives of others. Um, None of those things is uncomfortable for me because this is a dream that started when I was a child. When people asked me what I wanted to be, I didn't say that I wanted to be a firefighter or a teacher or a doctor or a lawyer. What I said, Bruce, quite frankly, was I want to be rich. And this is my mindfulness that I took to the table uh, as a child. And some people might say, well, you meditated upon wealth. Well, the fact is when you're poor, money is everything and you want to do everything that you can to get out of that situation. So and when you were a child, you were poor. What was your life like? We, Tell, we, t- take us into like a specific day in the life of James Nolan when you were a young child. We were actually middle class um, and we had all the trappings of success. And, and in a town like Lynchburg, Virginia, my father was a United Parcel Service uh, a, a delivery uh, driver. And my mother was a worker at at one of the highest paying factories in the region. So we had done well. However, we had the trappings of success, which included a big house and a nice car and some land. And we actually had a horse in our front yard. She was a really rough horse that actually bit me on my chest one day. And I've got the scar tissue to prove it. Her name is Blossom. Um, But we were attached to this thing that I call poverty consciousness. And that is an attachment to things and accumulation of things in order to feel happy and also understanding life in terms of a fear of lack. Uh, And this whole lack mindset was something that I had to detach and unlearn in order to move to an abundance consciousness. Now, getting back to your question, Bruce, in terms of my life, um, my childhood was not fun. There was a lot of instability. I was an overachiever in terms of my academic achievement and the programs that I was involved in with school leadership and so on and so forth. 
However, I was uh, a black kid who grew up in Lynchburg, Virginia, L-Y-H-C-H. Yeah, I was just going to say that. Like, how does that feel, being a black kid living in Lynchburg? I mean, just like when you said the name of your town, I just kind of like, ugh. Like, because I'm not from the United States, you know, and and I just like, they actually have a place called that. Wow. Like, how did that feel? Yeah, there's actually a place called Lynchburg, Virginia, and there's some other Lynch uh, titled cities in the state of Virginia, I believe. Um, But what it felt like, quite frankly, Bruce, is that it felt comfortable. That was, uh, those were my trappings. Those were my surroundings. That was my temple. That was the environment in which I was raised. Now in Lynchburg, there were some black people who were successful and who had college degrees, but the level at which the achievement model was accessible to me was limited because there was a limited height of success in a place like Lynchburg. Um, There were not uh, uh, doctors or lawyers or lots of people of that station who looked like me. So what I did was I turned on the television and quite frankly, I looked at sitcoms and I saw the Huxtables. And that's one of the reasons why I ended up going to medical school and going to law school and becoming a corporate attorney, because I thought that that was the only way to be successful and to have a happy family and to have a big house and to have the ability to travel and to have really intelligent, capable friends who have achieved a lot in life. Now, in my childhood, Bruce, um, the instability not only manifested itself in school because I was bullied a lot, um, but it manifested itself in terms of my family life. And my father um, uh, was a saboteur. Uh, he, he wore a gremlin-like saboteur, quite frankly, on his shoulder where he had an unpredictable temper. Uh, and he uh, took his frustrations with the world out on my family. And this is something that has challenged me to talk about as a man who is in his mid-30s and a millennial and who has achieved success. But I'm coming to terms with my voice and that experience and the tragedy of having witnessed my mother get the hell beat out of her and me getting my ass whipped. And these were not beatings or spankings. These were situations in which I've seen my mother's head bash through a wall. Um, I've seen her with a gun up to her head, and I thought that my father was going to pull the trigger. Um, Those were vestiges that I carried with me, um, uh, with me until I really started to have clarity after my accident on August 25th, 2012, where I promised myself, I'm not going to take these secrets to my grave with me. I am going to use this story as a man to talk about my lemons to lemonade success story in life um, and share it with others to help empower others because there are too few of us talking about that. And quite frankly, Bruce, if not but for mindfulness, there would be no purposeful millionaire. There would be no successful businessman. There would be no speaker. I have every reason to have not succeeded and to maybe be on drugs or to maybe be on a street corner or to maybe just be living a less than mediocre life or to maybe still be in Lynchburg, Virginia in denial about the entire situation. But wait, have you forgiven your father? Oh, yes. I have meditated. I have gone to therapy. I have released that demon that took control of his life where we didn't know if we were going to make it from one day to the next. And not only that, Bruce, but I use it as a source of power. I reflect upon my childhood as a source of power 
not just in that the dream for wanting to create wealth came from my childhood, but I embraced the experience and the totality of those experiences as part of my story to take my life to the next level. And that propels me. Now, I pray for his redemption and his forgiveness and for hopefully one day for him to come full circle and to realize the damage that was done. However, I'm not sure that he even remembers what was done because alcohol held such grip of the situation. And I don't even know if he was fully aware of what was being done to his beautiful wife and to his two children. And what's your relationship like with your father today? Now, he came and visited me um, a couple of years ago at my house. Prior to that, I had uh, totally separated myself and had excommunicated myself from any communications with him whatsoever. And that had, that had been a, uh, a decade. So t- more than 10 years had passed of me not talking to him. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to welcome him back in my life. And I think that for every man out there, there's a little boy crying who wants to be loved and accepted by his mother and father. And he wants to hear three words. I love you. And three more words uh, or four more words. I am proud of you. And I wanted that so, so badly, but in getting to know him, I saw someone who I felt had not changed over the years. Now, keep in mind that my father is still a young man. He's only 60 years old. Um, I felt that during the visit, he was more focused on looking at the big giant house that I live in and my material trappings than I'm getting to know me. Um, He took a lot of pictures. We didn't have really substantive conversations. And it reminded me of my childhood and that there's not one substantive conversation that I had with him, unfortunately, for the entire 17 years that I was living in his house. It was all about me trying to read this mercurial thermometer barometer to find out who was going to get punched next, um, who was going to get lashed at uh, next. And it was about reading him and protecting myself. And it wasn't about getting to know him. So Bruce, I'm at the point right now where I can speak about those things. I'm using my voice as a tool for power. Hopefully someone out there can, can hear this story and know that you are not alone, that you can achieve, that with mindfulness, things can be taken to higher heights in your life. But I'm at a point of release and I'm at a right. point of redemption and I'm at a right. point of love where I love him for creating me, but that does not mean that I have to hang out with him. Right. That does not mean that I have to include him in my life. And that does not mean yeah. that I have to accept his energy into my psyche, into my heart, into my house. So going back to the mindfulness piece, you you mentioned prayer, meditation, redemption. Prayer and meditation, are they the same for you or are they two different things? You know, I, I consider I consider prayer and meditation one of the same. And instead of talking about religion or talking about specifics in the context of religious teachings, I talk about the universe and talking about the universe and the energy fields of the universe and uh, the teachings that I have from the Bible that I read and incorporating those into my life, including things like the prayer of Jabez, um, I approach it from a holistic perspective so that I don't not include others. Um, And I believe that mindfulness, prayer, chanting, thoughtfulness, meditation is just important for the Buddhist as it is for the Muslim, as it is for the Jew, as it is for the Christian, as it is for the agnostic, the non-believer, the Zen spiritualist, whomever. So do you consider yourself a Christian? I do. Yeah. I do. 
I consider myself a non-judgmental, open-minded Christian who is focused uh, solely on love and not on judgment. So let's talk about that non-judgmental part of mindfulness. Does mindfulness itself help you to be non-judgmental? And when did that start happening in your life? Mm-hmm. Mindfulness um, started for me at a very early age. Uh, the bullying forced me to be mindful. Um, being in a household in which uh, some of the circumstances were just dreadful forced me to be mindful. Now, I didn't know what it was called back then, No, but I knew that if I spent time alone, if I closed the door to the room, and if I just sat in silence, that something about me changed. The vibrations within my body and the vibrations within my mind actually changed. So that practice has translated into other areas of my life, including when I went to college, I had the opportunity to study under Dr. Robert S. Brown, who's a mentor to me this day. He's this amazing 85 going on 86 year old man who I was his teaching assistant for back at the University of Virginia uh, for several years. And he and I have a father son type relationship, but he taught a course on mental health. And that mental health course helped me to translate the mindfulness as a little boy, just locking the door to his room and just sitting and trying to get the vibrations of his body to feel different to something that was more ritualized, more standardized, more focused on uh, doing it on a daily basis so that I could take the best mindfulness from myself in order to achieve my dreams. And that's what Dr. Robert S. Brown taught me. He taught me to ritualize the actual mindfulness in order to get the most out of it. So when did you start meditating, James? Mm -hmm. So meditating for me uh, doesn't happen in the classic uh, sense of the term of uh, sitting on the floor or sitting in a chair and just closing one's eyes. I'm a relatively hyper person. And right now, you know, it's morning time. This is my favorite time of the day. And I'm really enjoying talking to you right now, Bruce. And and I even talk fast in the morning time because I have so much high energy. Uh, But meditating for me uh, has, has, transition from different things in my life and it's it's manifesting itself in different ways for example i thought that in order to meditate effectively i had to sit down and be quiet and think Mm -hmm. about nothing however i now know that by doing yoga by doing yoga by moving my body and challenging my body and closing my eyes and doing yoga and thinking about something thinking about something where i want power in my life as my chant during that yoga ritual that I'm actually doing meditation. And that's what works for me. And I found myself even getting disappointed and mad at myself when I forced myself to sit down in quiet and to not move and to breathe and to so-called think about nothing. But right now at this stage in my life, I do yoga in the mornings. I do deep breathing during the yoga. I do some reflection during the yoga, but I choose a meditation. I choose a meditative thought to bring to the table during yoga. And if a thought comes into my head, I try to push it out during yoga. And I focus on that meditation throughout that 30 minute or that 60 minute yoga class with my eyes closed. So 10 years from now, meditation might manifest itself in a different form. And you and I might be talking about how I'm doing meditation in a different way then, but this is what's working for me now. Meditation is not something that is found in a box. It can be individualized for the individual. So these activities you're, you're describing, you're doing on your own, right? 
you're not doing them in a group or with another person or anything, right? Now, I, I do take yoga classes at a studio okay. with other students. However, I have a gym in my house and um, I do yoga in the gym in my house almost every morning. So um, when I'm with students in a class, I receive their energy and I find myself going into a deeper practice sometimes if I close my eyes in class and people might think that I'm a little bit crazy sometimes, but I feel myself going deeper into the poses and pushing my body more. And I find my mind releasing some of the baggage that I've been carrying by pushing my body more because when you're in a really difficult yoga pose, all you can do is breathe. You can't be thinking about that Excel spreadsheet that you're supposed to be working on or that podcast interview that you're supposed to be scheduling or the yeah. traffic that you were in five minutes ago. Um, so there's a benefit to being with other students as well as to being at home and ritualizing that in the quiet and the silence of my own space. Right. What else is included in your morning routine besides what, you, what you've already described? So I do the same thing every single morning and every single evening. Um, I wake up at the same time and I go to bed at the same time. Uh, I wake up between five o'clock and 5.30 and I, I'm roughly in the bed around nine o'clock or so at night. And I'm a big believer in sleep and uh, ritualizing sleep and making sure that we get our eight hours of sleep every single night. And I'm pretty good at achieving that even when I am uh, traveling and I wear earplugs when I sleep. And uh, if I am carrying some thoughts with me that I believe might disrupt my sleep, I'll write them down on a post-it note and I will force myself to leave those thoughts on that post-it note so that I can just dream about happy thoughts while I'm asleep. Now, um, you know, Mahatma Gandhi said, you know, when I go to sleep at night, I die. When I awaken in the morning, I'm born again. And I truly believe in that. So my morning routine looks like this, waking up between five o'clock and 5.30, going straight to the gym in my house and uh, starting either yoga or free body weight exercises. Now I've got some weights in there and I've got an elliptical, elliptical machine and a punching bag and uh, squat machine and all that stuff. But the bottom line is this, um, wherever I go in the world, I know that I don't need a gym. All I need is enough space on a rug in a hotel room or at the house or wherever I'm staying to stretch my body, to use my own body weight, to, um, actually exercise and get my mind into a meditative state. So you can find me doing yoga roughly 20 minutes or free body weight exercise roughly 20 minutes every single morning. And some people might come back and say, well, you know what? That's not a lot of exercise, James. But here's the thing. I do it every single day and I right. find it incredibly easy. And that exercise actually compounds itself and I have a much healthier body over time instead of, you know, busting it out for two hours every two weeks in the gym or every, you know, for two hours once a month in the gym. So my routine after the uh, exercise is to meditate for a very short amount of time. Now, keeping in mind that I've already been meditating while I'm doing my free body weight exercises, while I'm doing my yoga. And that meditation is just sitting down and just gathering myself before I move into work. And then I immediately move into the library in my house and start doing work or I go into our corporate office and do work uh, and start that relatively, relatively early. Now, I do my three hardest things of the day during that stretch of time in the morning when I know that I'm going to have minimal disruptions, when I know that I've got my phone in uh, uh, airplane mode and I'm not responding to email, I'm not looking at news because news uh, causes the brain to go into the emotional state instead of the rational state and it'll distract us and I don't check social media or do any of that stuff. But what I do do, Bruce, is that I focus on 
knocking out the three hardest things of the day. And I plow right through them. And upon completing those tasks, I have a sense of elation and I feel so good that the rest of the day is going to be easy. And I got the really, really hard stuff out of the way. Now that gives my body energy after having worked on really hard tasks for two to three hours. And then I can have meetings for the rest of the day. And then I can be on phone calls for the rest of the day, or I can be on a wonderful podcast show like yours uh, for the rest of the day because I've gotten the hard stuff done. Now this morning I got some really hard stuff done for my publisher and um, I sent out some really uh, time consuming things that would have probably taken me 10 hours to do, but I just limited the time uh, upon which I would spend for those tasks. And I got them done in that limited amount of time. I was focused. My creative brain was turned on. My energy fields were working and I just knocked it out and I did a good job at it. And now I'm celebrating and I've got positive energy to bring to you because I feel good about having accomplished by 9am in the morning, more than what a lot of other people achieve during their entire day. Way to go. Wow. So your book is called The Purposeful Millionaire. Now, honestly, James, you can help me or anyone become a millionaire. Is that is that what your book is about? That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And, you know, one of the reasons why some people don't achieve wealth is because they've never been told that you can be wealthy, too. They look at their circumstances and say, well, you know what? I have to accept this the way that it is, or I can dream. I can buy a lottery ticket. And some people, quite frankly, spend more time on trying to uh, figure out the right lottery numbers than they do on actually executing a plan to achieve wealth. The book is about planfulness. It's about execution. And it's about me sharing what I call the success formula with others. And that is, Bruce, idea plus the plan plus execution equals success. Now, the idea is everybody has lots of ideas, so we, we should not spend a lot of time on that. We should focus on getting to the plan stage, which probably takes about nine or 10% of our time to get to the actual execution stage where that plan can be refined and the idea can be refined, but we cannot get trapped with the idea or the plan in uh, analysis paralysis. We've got to be executing and that's what it all boils down to. And even at the executive level, when I'm working with C-suite executives of fortune companies and very large institutions, some of them have a real challenge with executing and getting out of the idea phase or the planning phase, regardless of the help or the staff that they have around them. Um, it's all about execution. And I help to share the tools with others, how they can execute a life of excellence in order to achieve wealth and happiness. Now, it's not going to ha happen right now, Bruce, unless you buy the lottery ticket or unless you inherit a lot of money, neither of which has happened to me. But over time, if you apply the 52 rules of that book, I promise you one thing. Your life is going to be better. It's going to be a lot happier. And you're going to be in a much better financial station than when you started. We've got exercises sprinkled throughout the book that help people get into a better state of mindfulness in terms of how they interpret uh, themselves in terms of wealth achievement, how to actually get to a higher level of wealth achievement. And if people go to our website, which is purposefulmillionaire.me, they can sign up for free quotations, tools, uh, messages to their inbox that keep them inspired throughout their lives. And this is something that we're not going to stop. We are starting a movement to help people who want to get from working class to middle class and who want to get from middle class to upper middle class and who want to get from upper middle class to upper class and the highest classes and have access to opportunity, relationships and achievement on levels that they never imagined. If it happened to me, it can happen to them 
too. And this is my manifesto. This is my testimonial to the world. It's something that I want to share because I don't want to be here alone, Bruce. Right. Well, James, I'm going to ask you um, five quick answer questions. And the first one is, who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness? Well, I, I, you know, it's number one, Dr. Robert S. Brown at the University of Virginia, uh, who I had the privilege of working under as his teaching, teaching assistant for a couple right. of years. Um, you know, Robert S. Brown is a tremendous man. He did not get into the University of Medical, uh, Virginia Medical School his first try. He came back several years later uh, and got in, and he was a middle-aged medical student, and he practiced psychiatry for 50 years, and then he went on to take me under his wings to talk wow. about mental health and the power of mindfulness. And he and I have a bond. We have a wonderful relationship. Uh, he is a father to me. Um, and he is the number one person who has helped me to take my mindfulness game to the next level and to understand that mental health is where all other types of health start. Now, if mental health is bad, it's hard to have good physical health or it's hard to have good spiritual health. Yeah. And it's hard to have good financial health. For it sure. all begins with good mental health. And that's what Robert Brown taught me. Wow. So tell us how mindfulness has affected your emotions, James. Mm. Mindfulness has affected my emotions in such a way in that there is control. For example, in business, Bruce, I feel that I have a competitive advantage when it comes to negotiating because I bring mindfulness to the table. Now, when somebody wants something out of a negotiation and I want something out of, out of a negotiation, I will take a second at that boardroom table to breathe, to inhale for 10 mm -hmm. seconds, to hold it, to exhale for 10 seconds, to slow down my thought process and to move from the reactive, which is in the emotional part of the brain, to the rational side of the brain. And by doing that, I'm elevating the conversation and I'm changing the tone that I'm speaking in and the other person elevates their conversation and they're changing their tone. So the entire conversation changes. So mindfulness is not about ignoring emotions or putting those emotions in your pocket. No. It's about controlling things for the situation. And for me, it's manifested itself in such a way that I can take control of the situation and end up being in the position of power, and the universe and others respond to me because of my control of those emotions. Mindfulness in traffic means breathing as well. When someone cuts me off now, I can laugh instead of wanting to curse or flick that person off. Now, I even talk about road rage in the book, and I talk about distracted drivers and those kinds of things. I bring mindfulness to everything that I do in order to not ignore emotions, but to tap into a higher uh, purpose and a greater understanding of how emotions can serve us. They can, right. they can serve us very poorly or they can serve us very well. I want my emotions to serve me well. Right. And I love how you answered my next question combined in with that one, because my next question was about breathing. So you've already talked about that. If you could recommend a book other than your own book, what would that be? A book that's sort of somehow related to mindfulness? So Bruce Wilkinson has a book out called The Prayer of Jabez. It was a bestseller. And um, one does not have to be a, a Christian to understand what the Prayer of Jabez is all about, which is in the book of Chronicles in the Bible. 
But um, it's really about asking the universe for expansion and doing the work too. Now, there's an African proverb that says, when you say a prayer, move your feet. That's what the prayer of Jabez is all about. To me, it's about saying the prayer. It's about asking the universe for what you want. And it's about receiving that because you actually executed and did the work. Do you have an app that you recommend of any kind, whether it's a productivity type of app or some kind of an app which helps you to be more mindful? You know, I do. And uh, there are a lot of different mindfulness apps out there. And my favorite one, my favorite one is Three Minute Mindfulness. Now, Three Minute Mindfulness is an app that you can actually set up on your smartphone or your smart device or your laptop where you get reminders throughout the day to breathe. And then it'll send you a message that says, you know, can you feel your toes? Take a moment to feel your toes because we, we get, we get so trapped in uh, the, the routine of the day, the go to this meeting, go to that meeting, present, do this, do that, make that phone call that we become out of tune with our body. We become out of tune with our breathing and three minute mindfulness sends gentle reminders for us to breathe to experience the moment, to connect, to listen to what the other person is saying, and to listen to what the other person is asking, and to also pause to make sure that one's words are truly what they should be before they come out of one's mouth. So much powerful information, James. And Mindful Tribe, just think of it. If you could just follow, I don't know, 52 guidelines, 52 tips, 52 ideas about how to live a life of wealth and happiness. And I mean wealth in so many ways, not just money, but the wealth of feeling good, the wealth of just being content and happy. Well, that is the subtitle of James' book, which is very powerful in itself. The Purposeful Millionaire is the title, 52 Rules for Creating a life of wealth and happiness. And I know this is an amazing book, James. How can Mindful Tribe connect with you? How could they, you know, learn more about what you do? They can learn more about what I do uh, by visiting www.purposefulmillionaire.me. Now, I know that that's probably a little bit hard to spell. I have a hard time spelling purposeful sometimes and millionaire uh, sometimes, but it's purposefulmillionaire.me. Or they can also go to my website, which is www.jamesnallen. That's N as in Nancy, O-W-L-I-N.com. The book comes out on April 25th, Bruce, and we're going to be doing some uh, drawings for $25 Amazon gift cards because our goal is to get bestseller status. And we want the Mindful Tribe to buy that book on April 25th and to also send us uh, their screenshots to the website and they'll actually be entered for many, many, many $25 gift cards. And not only that, but we are going to, with each sale of the paperback version of the book, we're going to be providing a free ebook to them of The Purposeful Millionaire if they buy it only on the 25th of April. James, it has been fantastic spending this time with you, talking with you, learning from you as well. And Mindful Tribe, I know you've learned a ton today from James. I just want to thank you again for joining us on the show and all the very best with the release of your book, James. Thank you so much, Bruce, and thank you for having me on the show. Okay, have a great rest of your day. Bye now. 
Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.